Hello and welcome to an auditory episode of the Play It As It Lies podcast coming straight to your ears. Hopefully an extra crisp time for your ears at the moment as we now come from our brand new exclusive state-of-the-art mics. Wouldn't you say we sound phenomenal, Frank? I would definitely say that. And it's only fitting that we upgrade our equipment and our sound quality right in time for the NFL playoffs, which is hopefully and I'm betting, is going to be an upgrade from the regular season, as it so often is. And you know, Rotom, once again, like I said on our last episode, football was the saving grace of 2020, and after another wild week to begin 2021, football is here to save the day. And for that, I am thankful. Thankful we are all that football is coming in to save the day uh, after an understatement to say an eventful week uh, here. In America, but you know, we get to see watch America's game every single day this weekend. Uh, two great days of slates of three games that we are very excited to talk about. Super wild card weekend is what they're calling it, Rodem. Super it is, but we'll have to start with a super Saturday, uh, first of all, to get our first three slates one AFC game, two NFC games. And the first and the only AFC game of our Saturday comes in a hotly contested contest between the number two seed and the number seven seed as the Bills in Orchard Park. The Bills Mafia host the Indianapolis Colts. The number seven seed sneak their way in thanks to the Dolphins not managing to pick up a victory in their own game. And they, with 11 wins, snuck in tear. The Bills at 13-3 and three were only one game behind the number one seeded Chiefs and find themselves here as the number one offense over the past six weeks. Frank, we've had very differing opinions about these Colts, but we've pretty much been in line about the Bills at a spread of six and a half in an Indianapolis money line of plus 245, do the Bills win in advance to meet the Chiefs? Well, this Bills team uh, has been nothing short of fantastic for most of the season, but specifically over the second half of the year. Early October into early November, they kind of hit a bit of a rough patch. I mean, they lost those two games to Tennessee and Kansas City. Uh, they struggled against the Jets. They barely beat the Patriots, and a lot of people were skeptical about, you know, was this team a flash in the pan to begin the season, myself included. And since that little dry spell, they've lost one game, and that was November 15th against the Cardinals, which was, of course, that miraculous Hail Mary. Had they won that game, we would be talking about a team that has not lost since October 19th. So the vibes here are quite similar to what the Ravens were doing last year, where they ripped off 12 straight wins in a row. They entered the playoffs uh, with a 14-2 and record. I'm not sure where the comparisons begin and end with these two teams specifically, but the way that they're entering the postseason is the same. And we're going to talk about the Ravens in a little bit, but they obviously uh, failed to meet expectations in the playoffs last year. And I don't think that's going to happen with the Bills this time around, with how good this team has been playing, uh, I don't see an avenue for the Colts to realistically pull off an upset here. The only way that I think they can keep it competitive is if they force Josh Allen, or the Bills in general, into two-plus turnovers. And I don't think Josh Allen is going to have that type of a game. We saw him have some playoff woes last year, but... That was his first playoff game. He was young. He's more experienced now. And I think the Bills win this game pretty convincingly. Uh, do you see any avenue for the Colts to make this competitive, Rotom? Frank, that's a question you are asking the wrong person. As a notable hater of the Colts, this is the exact position that I would not want to be in if I were to be the Colts. Uh, you're facing one of the best, not one of the best defenses in the league, but one of the most sturdy defenses that doesn't really commit a lot of problems that does create a lot of problems for quarterbacks like Phillip Rivers, who are capable of getting it a few times in the field, but mostly take advantage of their defense's capabilities. Uh, so this is not at all the defense you are hoping to play. I bet them facing the Titans would have been a little bit nicer since they have the history of playing that kind of defense and are able to keep up with a more talented offense. But here, while it might be the offense that might be on display at the fact that the Bills could outscore the Colts in pretty much any game, the problem that I have is I don't see the Colts having an avenue like you mentioned to score enough points to keep up with them. And at the spread of six and a half, I just think that's a little bit too far out of the reach of the Colts. Uh, and my biggest concern, I think, is who 
is stopping Stefan Diggs because while this has been a very good run defense and there has been a lot of good improvements to guys like Xavier Rhodes and a pretty solid defense, especially against the pass, against thousand yard receivers this year, there is not one aside from Justin Jefferson in his first game as an NFL player where the thousand yard receiver got less than 70 yards. The number one receiver in the NFL who garnered 1,535 receiving yards, who just got 10 catches for 130 yards against one of the best zone defenses in the league last week. He's on a hot streak. His quarterback's on a hot streak. I don't see not an avenue, not a road, not a way, not a court, not a lane. Frank? What about a bridge? Not even a bridge, Frank. Mm, Uh, And they might have to take themselves across the bridge in Buffalo to Canada uh, to drink off their woes after they lose this game. Yeah, I think, I mean, you bring up some good points, and it sounds like we're in agreement on this game. I mean, like you said, one of the biggest things to watch is how can this, how is this Colts secondary going to be able to slow down Stefan Diggs and the Bills passing attack? And we talked a lot about Stefan Diggs, of course, uh, for good reason. He is the NFL's receiving leader this year, but the Bills have some other weapons too. Cole Beasley, John Brown, who just came back from injury, those guys are no scrubs themselves. At a, as the second and third wide receivers on this roster. And the Colts' defense is still good. They're great against the run, number two on the year. But this isn't a Bills team that runs the ball effectively. I mean, they're only 20th in the NFL in rushing this year, averaging just over 107 rushing yards per game. And the Colts' secondary was great to begin the year in the first half of the season. But they finished the season by allowing 241 passing yards a game that ranks only 20th so their defense has kind of moved in the opposite direction whereas the bills defense has moved their way from being bad to being average over the latter half of the season and i think the bills win this game on the strength of their offense and i don't think the colts can score enough points like we both said i'm taking buffalo 31 to 21 and i think the bills therefore cover that six and a half point spread yeah, uh, Frank, I am uh, not surprisingly going to agree with you on the result for the spread and the money line. Uh, I am going to take the Colts a little bit lower than you are as I'm going 31-17 to 17 Buffalo in the first home playoff game for the Bills since 1996. Going to be emphatic there. Fans will be allowed. Uh, but Frank, because of that, it looks like I'm taking the under and you are taking the over. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. The over-under set at 51. Uh, my score result would be 52 points total, so a slight over. Uh, I mean, the Bills, they have the number two ranked scoring offense in the league this year. And the Colts, while not as flashy nor as star powered, uh, they did score 28 points a game, which ranks number ninth. And not to foreshadow here, but out of all these games, specifically in the Saturday slate, I think this one has the potential uh, and is the most likely to be more high scoring than some of the other games. Yeah, I'd agree. It's always something about that playoff mentality and with one elite defense and one just below elite defense. I think it is not the easiest game to see is going it over, but because of the talent that the Bills have on offense and the capability that the Colts have shown versus talented defenses, I think this is the most likely, at least of the Saturday slate, in my opinion, to hit the over. And we'll keep it moving along to our second game of Saturday, 440. It's a divisional matchup, the best kind of playoff game. It's not divisional week yet, so we'll have to keep on going for that. But in our second game of Saturday, the third team in the NFC, the Seattle Seahawks playing home to their divisional rival in second place in the NFC West, the number six LA Rams. The Rams, of course, were the Super Bowl two years ago, but are here off the back of an incredibly talented defense. Uh, And a little bit of quarterback was as quarterback John Walford might be the one leading them into the charge at CenturyLink Stadium, where the Seahawks have been up and down all season. You know, their defense started historically bad while their offense started historically good. But here we are talking about their defense right in the middle of the pack. And of course, Danger Russ, Russell Wilson, that of course is in their backfield that could lead them anywhere, Frank. Seattle minus three. You've been on them all season. The Rams plus 150. How do you feel about this one? Well, this should be a lot easier uh, than it is, right? Because it's Russell Wilson versus John Walford or an injured Jared Goff. And even versus a healthy Jared Goff, Uh, In a vacuum, you're taking Russell Wilson 10 times out of 10. And quarterback is, without a doubt, the most important position on the field. That goes without saying, Uh, especially in the playoffs, too. Um, The strengths and weaknesses of a team's quarterback only become magnified 
in the postseason, uh, and even more so in a divisional matchup like this with two teams that know each other very well. But with that being said, it's hard to discount what this Rams defense has done all season. Now, regardless of their offensive woes and uh, their shortcomings on that side of the ball, their defense is fantastic and quietly fantastic, I would say, because a lot of people, obviously people know about Aaron Donald, they know about Jalen Ramsey, but I think the name recognition kind of stops there uh, to a large degree. But they rank number one in points per game, points allowed, number one in yards allowed, and number one in passing yards allowed. And they're slightly worse in rushing yards allowed, but even there, they rank number three. So they're without a doubt the a top three, maybe even the best overall defense in the league. And this Rams team has given Russell Wilson and the Seahawks a lot of struggles over the years. And two weeks ago, the Seahawks did beat them uh, by a score of 20 to 9. But I'm envisioning a much closer matchup this time around. And this Rams team kind of limped into the playoffs, whereas the Seahawks. Uh, Starting to get on a little bit of a roll. I'm going to pick the Seahawks in this game, but it does concern me that they're up and down. And it seems like Seattle's offense and defense have not put together a complete game uh, in quite some time, maybe even all season. But what do you think about it, Rodham? Well, I think it's that last remark. It's that the fact that they haven't been able to put a complete performance from all three sides of the ball at any point this season. And I think none was more clear that than the two games they played against the Rams, one in which their offense showed up incredibly well and their defense was somewhat there, though I don't know how much of the disrespect you can give to Jared Goff, who went 24 and 43 in that game, throwing one pick and zero touchdowns. But that was one of the sole examples that I think you can say that they played at near maximum capacity on all three fronts. And it's just so unlikely that we're going to see that again. Because once again, you just can't point to any other game where they feel like, Russell Wilson was on, the running game was on, the defense was on, and they were capable of doing greater things. The Seahawks team, while incredibly talented on multiple fronts with all pros like Russell Wilson, like DK Metcalf, like Tyler Lockett, and of course Bobby Wagner on that defensive side along with KJ Wright and Jamal Adams, who currently saying that he will play, but Pete Carroll is calling it a game-time decision. Uh, I gave my my thoughts on what coaches should do in that circumstance last week. And lo and behold, Kyler Murray got hurt in the first 10 plays he played. Uh, Pete Carroll, I said it last week, much smarter coach than Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, I think he'll be making the right decision, whatever happens with that. So I- I'm going to believe in the Seahawks defense, but it just, it's just something about the Rams this year. It's something about Sean McVay, who we always know has the right rabbit to pull out of any hat that he happens to be doing his magic at. Uh, And here with a lot of players coming back, most notably Michael Brockers, in my mind, uh, who will be set to stop a little bit of the run game. And Cooper Cup, who was on the injured reserve COVID list last week, is going to be huge. A question mark for me is Cam Akers. Uh, And if Cam Akers can play and they can develop a run game, I think it'll be a big advantage for them. But at the moment, I just don't really have too much faith in the Seahawks and think that inconsistency is, is too much for to handle in a playoff game. The Seahawks are good. They're going to make this a competitive game. But I think it's going to be tough for them to get in the end zone because of guys like Darius Williams and Jalen Ramsey. And so, therefore, I'm taking the Rams in this one, uh, sticking with that plus three. Yeah, it's not a bad pick by any means. And especially with the healthy money line of plus 150, uh, that only adds to the incentive of backing Sean McVay and backing this number one ranked defense. Um, But for me, what it comes down to is I just can't conceivably pick uh, John Walford starting in his first playoff game, starting in his second game ever, to go on the road in Seattle. I know there's no fans, um, but to go on the road in Seattle and defeat Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson uh, in a playoff game. I think Seattle has just done this too many times. They've been in this situation uh, far too many times to kind of roll over against an inexperienced quarterback like this. I think the safest bet is we're going to see a low-scoring game. Because like you mentioned... Seattle's offense has been not nosediving, but certainly moving in the wrong direction uh, over the latter half of the season. Whereas the Rams' offense, you can kind of say the same thing. And Seattle's defense, on the flip side, has been playing a lot better than they were earlier in the year. So I think it's going to be low scoring. I'm going to hedge by taking the Rams plus three. Again, on the strength of their defense, keeping it close. But in the end, I know it's cliche. But I think Russ cooks and makes a play or two in the fourth quarter that swings the outcome of this game 
And I'll take Seattle 19, Rams 17, with a little bit of a unique score there for you, Rodham. Yeah, you're talking a little scoregami. I'm sure it's happened before, you know, with the lower scores, but it should be interesting enough to see for this Rams and Seahawks team. Um, like you mentioned, I think we're both taking the under on this one, which uh, could be continuing thread here as we finish to our last game of Saturday, where the top wildcard team in the conference, the number five Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming out of their hole of Tampa Bay, are coming up to the nation's capital. Uh, a little bit dangerous these times of uh, the year, but hey, they'll be here and they'll be playing in Landover, Maryland, and the Washington football team plays host as the champions of the NFC East. They're here because a tough, stouted top 10 defense, but the currently ranked number 32 offense in the NFL uh, might have trouble competing with Tampa Bay and the six rings sitting upon his pretty fingers. Tom, Tom handed minus six spread against the worst team involved in the playoffs at the and one of three of the only losing teams to make the playoffs in this century. Washington Moneyline plus 335 tickling you at all, Frank? Or are you saying it's Bucks all the way? And Tom, play the Packers next week. Well, it is a, a fat money line, if you will, plus 335. Certainly healthy. Uh, certainly a lot to like there, but not in this particular matchup. And this Washington team, it's it's a great story. We've talked about it week in, week out. Ron Rivera, Alex Smith, uh, the epitome of overcoming adversity and exceeding expectations. And narratives and stories are great, but in a playoff matchup against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers in this spot... Uh, it doesn't seem like a recipe for success for this Washington team. They needed a lot to go their way for them to get into the postseason. Not to take credit away from them, but you can argue that had the Eagles not completely tanked that game last week, uh, we could be looking at a potential different division winner from the NFC East and a different team playing in this spot. But it's Washington nonetheless. And the only saving grace for the professional football team from Washington, as they're so-called, to have a chance to make this a competitive game is their defense, which is number four in points allowed, number two in yards per allowed, uh, maybe the best defensive line in the NFL. And I do think there's an off chance that they give Tom Brady a little bit of struggles. And I know Tom Brady has been fantastic over the past few weeks. He climbed his way to 40 touchdowns on the year, but he has not played a defense with Chase Young, Jonathan Allen, Ryan Kerrigan, uh, and a handful of other players. He just simply hasn't played a defensive line of this caliber maybe all season. The ripe age of 43, if you can get pressure on him, he's a significantly worse quarterback than he is standing up, un standing up protected in a clean pocket. And you can say that about any quarterback, but I do think Washington has the capability to uh, make this a little bit closer than maybe some people expect on the strength of that defensive line. Uh, do you think I'm crazy, Rodham? I do, that? and I think everyone has this fascination of looking at the number four seed and thinking, oh, they might be good. But it, it, yeah, this is a good story. It's great to see the football team here, and obviously people are going to look back and talk about that Seattle Seahawks team that was here as a 7-9 and nine player, and they won their game. The Giants did the same thing. Uh, but I, I don't think that streak continues here with Washington because, I mean... Yeah, their defensive line is great, but you're talking about one position group out of the eight major position groups in the NFL, and none of the other seven are particularly good. Maybe quarterback, now that Alex Smith is 4-1 and one as a starter for them, is is one, but are we really trusting Robolag to be the second-best position group that they have? Their linebackers are nothing special. Their cornerbacks are eh. Their wide receiver group outside of Taylor McLaurin is maybe one of the worst in the league. I, I just can't. I just can't convince myself in any way that this isn't a double-digit victory for the Bucks, And I think the easiest way to compare the two uh, is their common opponents. Uh, both teams played the Rams, Giants, Lions, and Panthers this season, with the Bucks going 4-1 in those games, winning by a combined 76 points, while Washington lost all five of their games versus those teams, losing by a combined 34 points. Uh, both teams only have one win versus current playoff teams with the Bucks beating the Packers, the number one seed in the conference, 38 to 10, while Washington got a 23 to 17 win over the Steelers at their lowest point. Uh, Washington, that's Washington's only win against a team with more than six wins, while the Bucks have at least four of those wins, having beaten other teams that conveniently didn't miss the make the playoffs, making the stat look a little bit worse. But Washington has fumbled the bag against solid teams all but pretty much one time versus the Steelers. And I think that's more due to the Steelers' dysfunction than it was to Washington, and I think it's going to be plain and very apparent Sunday night that this game is out of the question 
the easiest one to call this weekend. And that call is obviously for the Bucks. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right at the end of the day. Um, I was simply, you know, more so just trying to make a case for Washington to have a shot uh, to make this competitive. And it is an eight-point spread. Um, and there is a potential maybe for a backdoor here, but I just don't think for all the reasons that you mentioned that Washington is going to be able to is going to be able to score enough points to uh, keep pace with this Buccaneers offense. Uh, we know how good Washington's defense is, but you bring up a good counterpoint that defensive line is only one position group on the field. And this Buccaneers team, they have a plethora of weapons offensively. And Bruce Arians is an offensive minded coach. And they've kind of rounded in the form over the second half of the season. Uh, but you know, Rodham, the streets are talking and they're saying that Roboleg may hand the reins over to Taylor Heineke at halftime. And uh, Heineke is going to sip some Heineken and come in and save the day. What do you think about that scenario? I think it could be a good scenario. And he'll be sipping Heineke. He'll be sipping Heineken with his head coach, Ron Rivera, who actually a pretty notable stat about this game uh, that many would find surprising. Bruce Arians versus Ron Rivera. This will be matchup number seven of their careers. Arian, only two and four against Rivera. They split one mm. and one last season. Uh, but last time they met in a very important matchup, 2014, Bruce Arians, Arizona team, an 11 and five wildcard faced Rivera's Panthers with a losing record with the other notable team to do it. And last time, Rivera did the job. So we'll see. Can he take another losing team, a losing division champion to the second round of the playoffs over Bruce Arians? Be interesting to see if that happens again. Yeah, I mean, a great coaching matchup. Bruce Arians, Santa Claus on one side of the field, and Riverboat Ron on the other side of the field. And, you know, Rodham, I think it's great that you just brought up that stat because not a lot of people pay attention to those coaching statistics and head-to-head matchups that you really got to dig down deep for. And, you know, you got to find and do research for. And that's what we're here to do. That's what you're here to do, and you're great at that. And I'll segue this by saying I think the Buccaneers win by a score of 24 to 13, I made the case for Washington to maybe cover the spread, but in the end, it's just too lopsided offensively. And I think Tampa Bay wins by 11 points. I think it's another game where the under hits as opposed to the over. Uh, I don't see a lot of points being scored in this game overall. I don't either, and I won't have much more. I'm throwing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers an extra three points be a field goal uh, to make it 27 to 13. Uh, three more points than you, but still hitting that under, meaning we're pretty concisively just going under, under, under. Uh, we'll have to head down under for our next game. Uh, not specifically in Australia, but they do play football in Australia, so maybe they're playing a game on Sunday. But we won't be talking about that game, Frank. No, we'll be talking about a very important game for the two of us as we go from one side of the DMV to the other, uh, where the Ravens will be heading to Nashville to play the Music City Titans. The Ravens, the top wildcard team in the AFC, will be playing the last divisional winner in the AFC as the Titans, who clinched their division away from the Colts after a win versus Houston last week, uh, will be will be led by their king, the Mad King Henry, Mr. 2,000 yards, the sixth best season in the history of running backs. A crazy stat, and he's gone 2-0 and in his career versus Lamar Jackson and these Ravens. But these Ravens are on the hottest of hot streaks as of late. Maybe not the greatest teams on the way, though they did play probably the game of the year, beating the Browns just four weeks ago. Uh, but can this heat keep the Ravens going as they actually are favored despite being the road team at minus 3.5 in Tennessee's money line, the second smallest of the week at plus 155. Frank, they got beaten the regular season. They got beat in the playoffs last year. Do they finally do it? Do the Ravens take the monkey off their back and beat the Titans? Well, that's the biggest storyline in this game. I mean, this Titans-Ravens team, they're, they've kind of ushered in a new era of a rivalry between these two storied franchises. Uh, gone are the days of the early 2000s between Eddie George and Ray Lewis, and now are the new days between the two guys you mentioned, Lamar Jackson and Derrick Henry. Of course, they don't face off head-to-head offense versus defense, but they are the two most talked about and two most important players for both teams. And like you mentioned, the Titans have had the Ravens number recently. They beat them in the playoffs last year uh, in miraculous fashion. No one saw that coming. They were almost a double-digit underdog, and that was a miraculous upset. And then earlier this regular season, uh, they won again in what was a very competitive game that went to overtime. And the biggest story between these two teams is you have the number one 
and number two ranked rushing offenses in the NFL. The Ravens average almost 200 rushing yards per game, 191.6 yards per game on the ground. That is uh, incredible. Uh, Not quite as dominant as they were last year where they averaged over 200 rushing yards per game, but still pretty remarkable nonetheless. And then, of course, Derrick Henry, uh, it goes without saying, that he makes up the majority of the Titans' 168 rushing yards per game on the ground. Uh, And because these two teams are so similar stylistically, I think that game script may ultimately have the biggest impact on who comes out on top in this game. Whichever team can get out to an early lead is therefore going to have a better chance to control the clock and control time of possession, and and they won't really have to get away from their game plan what they want to do, which is run the ball early, often, and run the ball a lot. Uh, Rotom, game script-wise, do you think that that ultimately could have a deciding factor in this game? I do, and I think that in itself entails a benefit to the Ravens because the best game script guy in the league is Lamar Jackson. Uh, maybe Pat Mahomes has a ability to beat him sometimes in the air because he can keep a play going for so long, but Lamar Jackson is one of the few players that can create a 50-yard play out of nothing and Unlike Pat Mahomes, he doesn't need another guy to do it. He can do it all by himself right up the field. Uh, he hasn't been great at doing so versus the Titans in the past two matchups, but I think the biggest concern for the Titans, uh, while obviously the biggest concern for both of these teams, is rush defense defending the, the star rusher, the star 1,000-yard rusher or 2,000-yard rusher in the Titans' case uh, in the other backfield. But it's going to be complementary offense that I think is going to decide this, much like the game script. And for the Ravens, that complementary offense comes in the Ford of J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram and Gus the Bus uh, and Hollywood. And if they can catch the ball and get at least a 30 to 70 yards on the ground by themselves, I think there'll be a big advantage because on the other side of the field, complementary offense for the Titans has been good this year. Thanks to Ryan Tannehill really coming out this season, but it's going to be the biggest matchup this week. I don't think it's Derrick Henry. I don't think it's Lamar Jackson, not JK, not Rashawn Evans, uh, not anyone. It's going to be Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters versus Corey Davis and AJ Brown. Because if the Titans don't have the capability to run the, uh, to pass the ball effectively and the Ravens can truly stack the box seven to eight in the box at all times, uh, I think this game goes way heavier to the Ravens side than it will for the last two games. Uh, because without such a stout run defense in the middle, uh, the Ravens were unable to stop the running game in the first game, and obviously Calais Campbell and, De- and many of our good, in- many of the Ravens' good interior alignment were not there in the playoff game last year. Uh, so, can we stop? Can the Ravens stop the complementary offense that comes with the Titans? Uh, in so Corey Davis and AJ Brown, Marlon Humphrey, one of the best cornerbacks this year, might have something to say about that. And in the same way, can J.K. Dobbins for the Ravens be stopped and give the Titans a complementary offense uh, and advantage. Uh, and I think that comes down to guys like Rashawn Evans and guys like Harold Landry, the guy who got that sack in, uh, on Lamar Jackson in the overtime this season. Uh, I, I think that there's a lot of good possibilities for them to stop it, but it's all going to be down to some of the lesser known names to decide who wins this game. Yeah, it's a great point. And I like that you brought up the cornerbacks as the potential X factor to watch for uh, on the Baltimore side because. The rushing offense garners all the headlines for the Titans, and Derrick Henry specifically, but their rushing attack feeds the passing game. And Ryan Tannehill has been so lethal off of play action, uh, not just this year, but of course last year as well. And that kind of gave the Ravens fits in the playoff matchup, and it gave them fits earlier this season. So it's really going to be on Humphrey, Peters, and the other cornerbacks that the Ravens have, which is the strength of their defense. They are designed to be able to play press man coverage and be able to blitz more the line of scrimmage and do some more creative looks because their cornerbacks can hold their own in one-on-one situations and if that plays out in their favor I think we will be looking at a Ravens victory and I'm going to lean that direction Uh, the minus three and a half number is tricky for me because this has just been a bad matchup for Baltimore recently and Tennessee has given them fits uh, in the trenches I think Tennessee has kind of outmuscled them over the past two matchups. But I think that kind of I think the tide turns in this game. And you mentioned one player, Calais Campbell. He for me is the biggest X factor to watch for. You talked about some of the guys who aren't aren't as big name and Calais is a big name guy and he's a big individual, but he wasn't with the Ravens last year in the playoffs and he was hurt during the matchup between these two teams. And you can kind of say that the Ravens signed Ravens traded for and signed him to an extension uh to a large degree because of this hypothetical rematch, because they wanted someone who could help slow down Derrick Henry and who could get pressure 
in the interior, and Campbell's that guy. He's rounded in the form over the past couple weeks, and I think the Ravens limit Henry to a certain extent, and I think they pull out this victory 27-23. to I can see them winning by only a field goal, maybe a Justin Tucker game winner. I think it's going to be a close competitive matchup, much more so than the Tampa Bay-Washington game that we just finished up talking about. Uh, but I say Ravens by four, and therefore Ravens by three and a half. So I'm taking the points. Yeah, uh, that is right around where I'm going. We have the same score for Tennessee, but I'm actually going to give the Ravens a little bit of a boost. I, I seemingly be taking a little bit more points than you are in these playoff games, which is interesting. But I'm going, obviously, Baltimore minus three and a half. Ravens to win, and Baltimore, 34, Titans, 23. And then the narrative about Lamar Jackson not being able to win a playoff game uh, goes by the wayside if this happens, which we both think it will, and I hope it does. Hopefully, it would be Baltimore's first playoff win since 2014, and obviously Lamar's first playoff win as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Uh, it's pretty good fly, uh, pretty good storylines there, but obviously the Titans, who made the AFC Championship last year, are looking to get there and get their rematch with the Chiefs. Yeah, they're obviously looking to get back to that situation. Uh, it, it's just a different different circumstances for Tennessee this time around because last year, obviously, uh, they went they got hot in the second half of the season. Uh, they snuck into the postseason and they kind of caught everyone by surprise and went on a run. And now they're the team that's hosting this playoff matchup and the Ravens are kind of on the flip side where they're the team that's got hot over the second half of the season and now they're sitting in the wild card spot uh you know Rotom, I've thought about this a lot and a lot of people have talked about it do you think that expectations since they're so lower for the Ravens this time around that maybe that works in their favor now they no longer have the pressure of being a 14 win team being the number one seed in the AFC because as we saw last year maybe having that two weeks of rest before the playoffs was not such a good thing. I think it definitely could be an advantage, but I think that comes down to coaching and how this team is mentally capable of holding on to it. Uh, because at the end of the day, there's no bigger game than playoff games except for the Super Bowl. Uh, and that is the prevalent idea that's going to be thrown around the Ravens camp this weekend, the Titans camp. Uh, so, you know, maybe revenge is going to be a big name for them. Maybe the fact that they don't really have that much press compared to last week. There's a huge difference between what being one of 16 teams involved in the playoffs and one of eight. Uh, and it really, you know, that that media attention is going to be very different. And I think not having that and having the time to grow and kind of come together as a team over the past six to seven weeks uh, is is going to be a lot is going to be a major factor in why the Ravens could potentially finally get this monkey off their back. But it, it's going to be very important to see. It definitely is. And not to sound biased here, but I do think this Ravens Titans matchup. Uh, out of all the wild card games, uh, is definitely the most compelling. Maybe that's the revenge and, and the rematch factor here. But I think it's going to end up being the the most competitive, maybe back and forth uh, game out of all of these. Yeah, it's a good way to start off your Sunday, Frank. It's going to be the 1 p.m. game, but we're going to have to move it along to our second and last, our, our third and final NFC game. The game with the largest money line and the biggest spread. And that spread will be handed to the number two seed in the NFC, the New Orleans Saints. They've been here multiple, multiple times, but for the past three years, the Saints have tragically fallen out of the playoffs. Will it be a fourth straight time here as they play the seventh-seeded Chicago Bears, the eight-and-eight eight Chicago Bears? Frank, you know I'm excited to finally talk about my Bears in the playoffs. You told me it wouldn't happen. You told me the Cardinals would be here. You told me someone else would be here, but guy, God, they've done it. Chicago is in the playoffs, and here they face with a money line of plus 390. Hey, it's against there's them no need to raise points. your voice, Rotom. There's no need to raise your voice. I shall raise my voice for these Bears because, by God, they've done it. Matt Nagy deserves this. Uh, but does he deserve a win, Frank? We'll find out this Sunday. Do you think he'll get it? Well, look, you obviously have uh, a more vested interest in this game, uh, and you, you certainly have more to say about this game uh, than I do. And on the surface, when you look at how these two teams fared statistically on both sides of the ball, in theory, the Saints should win this game convincingly. And I think Vegas is reflecting that with the spread of 10 points. I mean, offensively, the Saints have a decisive advantage of points scored. They rank number 5, 30.1 on the season. The Bears ranked 22nd, scoring 23.3. And the Bears did not rank better than 22nd in any other offensive category, that being... Uh, total yards, rushing yards, or passing yards. And defensively, 
Uh, I know the Bears have this reputation on the year of being one of the best defenses in the league, but they're middle of the pack, statistically. Uh, They rank between 11 and 15 in points allowed and yards allowed, both rushing and passing. On the flip side of the spectrum, the Saints' defense, ever so quietly, is elite. They're top five in all of the aforementioned categories. So what I'm looking at here is that the Saints should win this game. I think they will win this game. But for some reason, and maybe you can speak a little bit more to this, I'm having a hard time seeing the Saints win by more than 10 points. That seems like too high of a number, uh, even in the game where they're looking to exercise their playoff demons. Am I crazy for thinking that the Bears plus 10 is the smart player, Rotom? Oh, Frank, no, you're not. Much like the question about the Colts, uh, you might be asking the wrong guy. Might have a little bit of a bias in this one, but... I do think that those stats are a little bit skewed by the fact that the Bears are a different team. Uh, starting off 5-1 and one, uh, as one of the hotter defenses in the league, they definitely look better. And then they've sunk into that 0-6 realm, uh, which may or may not be to the fault of Nick Foles and poor play calling by Matt Nagy. But we've got a different quarterback in place. There's a new head, There's a new guy calling the plays, and that guy has turned things around. Maybe not entirely on defense, where they are a little bit limping behind where they were to start the season. But David Montgomery who was fifth in the league in rushing yards this year, fourth in attempts, fifth in receptions, fourth in receiving yards as a running back, uh, became a diverse weapon that truly propelled this team into leaps no one expected. In the last six weeks uh, since Bill Lazor took over as offensive play caller, the man pretty much spawned in a 1,000-yard rushing season with getting 100 yards in almost every single game from scrimmage. He's been a pretty unstoppable beast, and... It, it's looking good. The defense, if you do take out those six weeks, is is a top five unit because those losses against huge against those bad losses against guys like the Lions just kind of get looked over. And yeah, it is this. These still are the same players. I can't just say ignore that. But ten points is, I think, a little ridiculous to say that the Bears are going to lose by double digits here, seeing that this season they already played the Saints and they only lost by three. I get where Vegas is coming from, that decisively on either side of the ball, the Saints could have the advantage, but this is still a playoff game. Ten points? It it does feel like Vegas just is missing something here, and for that reason, I, I definitely don't think I can see myself taking the Bears in this one, but any given Sunday here, especially versus an offense that is trending upwards, a defense that's trending upwards, this isn't the same situation with the football team where this is an offense that hasn't ever looked good, that they have had sputterings. They've scored 30 points in four straight games. I don't know, Frank. I, you know, the, the, Bears, the Bears might be blinding me. My love for, for Roquan hey. Smith and the like might be there, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think you're crazy. Well, the Bears, uh, they definitely have your heart. I think what it boils down to for me is like you said, aside from that double-digit loss to the Packers in the final game of the season, uh, this was a Bears team that was trending upwards. And sure, they were playing some lesser competition, but you you still want to see a team handling their business against lesser competition heading into the playoffs, much like the Ravens and a few other teams have been doing. And I think the Bears, maybe they still have some momentum. I don't know how much that Packers game damaged them. Uh, They lost, sure, by two touchdowns, but they were in that game. Uh, up until about the midway through the third quarter. Um, And I think this is more competitive than the 10-point spread uh, would suggest. But at the end of the day, this is a Saints team that doesn't really have any weaknesses at all, none that I can see at least. And they have a coaching advantage in this matchup. And after losing three straight playoff games, decided on the final play, uh, it feels like they're due for some good luck to break their way. And I think that this Bears matchup, maybe not the most favorable in the world, but certainly advantageous enough for the Saints to once and for all exercise their demons and get their first playoff victory uh, in quite some time, which frankly feels like it's long overdue. So I'm going to take Saints 25-19, to 19, so a six-point victory, and a, another, a little bit of another weird score there, 25-19. to 19. Yeah, you're just coming up with this addition uh, out of your pocket. Just randomly outing up field goals, I see. What is, what is 25? Is that three touchdowns? Is that two touchdowns and four field goals? Listen, you, you'll find out on Sunday how they get 25. All right, the math is going to add up somewhere. Uh, I am also going to take the Bears on that spread. Um, it pains me to say I do think the Saints are going to pull out the win. But, you know, any given Sunday, my scoreline is going to be 20-18. to 6, 18. I think it's going to be a defensive battle from the get-go. 
Um, but Frank, I got a conspiracy theory for you on how maybe the Bears do pull this one out. Well, you know I love a good conspiracy theory, so I'm I'm all ears. Well, a big part of Super Wild Card Weekend is that for the first time ever, Nickelodeon, you know, your ho- the home of your favorite undersea sponge, will be mm-hmm. sharing its first ever NFL game, and that is the Bears versus the Saints. Now, I would like to put you know, now put on your Sherlock Holmes hat for a second, Frank. Why, in the biggest, most lopsided game of the uh, of this Wild Card Weekend, why would they choose that game to be the Nickelodeon? It wasn't because of time slot. They didn't specifically say whoever gets number seven has to play number two here. No, they said we want the Bears and the Saints to be our first ever game on Nickelodeon. Now, I'm not a guy for conspiracy theory. Usually, obviously, I spouted quite a lot of nonsense about the whole Joe Flacco situation, but Unless the Bears are involved, then you're unless, all for conspiracies. Unless the Bears are involved, and Mitch Trubisky could come out looking great. And in that case, I think it, I think this is one. I think it would be very surprising to me if there isn't a little bit of a advantage for the referees to kind of get, keep this game competitive. Because if you're the the point of putting this game on Nickelodeon is not only to make football more accessible, but also to reach a younger audience. If you let the Saints score 38 points, as the Bears measly score seven. That's not a game that's captivating anyone. Uh, it might be a long shot, but if referees are in any way paid off, they'll be paid off for the Bears' advantage here and to make sure that the Saints don't take too big of a lead. Uh, the biggest win for the NFL is if this is a close game, a lot of points are scored, big highlights, a lot of slime on the screen. Uh, and while the Saints winning is probably overdue, like you said, Nickelodeon, big big, uh, big SpongeBob, might, uh, might be a Bears fan this weekend. Well, that's certainly uh, quite the conspiracy. And, you know, I got to say, I was more of a Disney Channel person growing up. But Nickelodeon, uh, maybe Mitch Trubisky is for the kids. Maybe he is. Maybe that's who the kids want to see at the uh, Kids' Choice Awards, handing out the Slime Awards uh, next season. And if the Bears somehow win this game and the referees are paid off and there's a little bit of shady stuff going on, if you're a Saints fan, I don't know how you recover if you lose this game. I mean, four straight playoff appearances as a division winner in four straight losses, especially if it's in late game fashion again, that would just be a, a crushing blow to the New Orleans faithful. But hopefully it doesn't happen. Yeah, uh, it, it might. It's been a while for the Saints and a lot of teams lose badly in the playoffs, but not as many, not so many teams get to lose in the playoffs by things that are famously named and brought up. Obviously, last year was the no offensive pass interference called, but last year was the no call uh, on Nicole Robbie Coleman. The year before that was the Minnesota Miracle uh, with T- Stefan Diggs. The year be- a few years before that was catch three uh, with the 49ers beating the New Orleans Saints. And of course, the year after they won the Super Bowl 2010, one of the greatest moments in NFL history, the Beast Quake, uh, unleashed them into the playoffs the year they got the Super Bowl. So it's been it's been a pretty tragic 10 years for the playoffs in New Orleans. So maybe beating the Bears and getting slimed at the end is uh, what will break that curse. Yeah, and this is more likely than not Drew Brees' last hurrah. I mean, this is his last chance uh, to get back to the Super Bowl and get himself another Super Bowl victory. Uh, we know that he's going to be in the broadcasting booth next season. He's already signed a contract with NBC Sports, but before he heads, he heads up into that studio, I think he might have some more magic left on the football field. Uh, and that remains to be seen on four at 4.40 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday. Yeah, at 4.40 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we will be treated to Drew Brees' last game, but will we be treated treated four hours later at 8.15 to Ben Roethlisberger's final game as mm. the team expected to be the number one seed that fumbled three straight games to end their season, uh, now finished 12-4 and four as the number two team, is the number three team in the AFC. The Pittsburgh Steelers at Three Rivers Stadium at Heinz Field will be playing host to their divisional rival, the Cleveland Browns, the third team sent in by the AFC North as the number six seed in the AFC. The 11-5 Browns will be in the playoffs for the first time, 2002. It's been a long time for these Browns fans, and while it's been bad for the Saints to keep losing the playoffs, better to be losing the playoffs than to not make it at all. Wouldn't you say, and with their hopes of Baker Mayfield leading them to a playoff win pretty slim, Vegas would agree with Pittsburgh at a minus six spread and the Cleveland money line of plus 225, despite them winning and beating them last week. Uh, Frank, do you think the Pittsburgh Steelers now with all of their starters back uh, trounce recover from last week and take a step further to winning big Ben's 
Well, it's definitely encouraging um, from the Steelers' perspective that you found a way to be competitive and nearly pull off that upset against the Browns last week despite not having Big Ben, not having T.J. Watt, not having a bunch of other starters like you mentioned. And they were a two-point conversion away from that being a tied football game in the fourth quarter. So if you're the Browns, yes, you're in the postseason for the first time in almost 20 years, like you said. Uh, It's a great story for Cleveland, uh, especially for Cleveland fans who have suffered long and hard for over many years as it relates to football and other sports. But I'm not sure how much optimism you can have in the Browns' chances of winning this football game. Uh, Maybe if they were at full strength heading into this game, you would be more confident. But of course, they've been hit with with a little bit of a COVID outbreak at the absolute worst time. And their biggest ace in the hole all season was first-year head coach Kevin Stefanski. And of course, now he will not be on the sidelines for this game. And Stefanski, in my opinion, was probably the biggest reason for the Browns' success this season. I mean, you look at all the coaches that they've cycled their way through over the years, and none have been able to get this Browns team to play a winning brand of football. And sure, you can say that their roster is better this year than it has been in years past, But Stefanski deserves the majority of, or at the very least, a lot of credit for getting this Browns team to where it is. Uh, Offensively, he's pushed all the right buttons. He's put Baker Mayfield in positions to succeed. And he's kind of unlocked this rushing attack, which has been the strength of this Browns team. So now, without Stefanski on the field, I'm a lot less optimistic that this Browns team has a chance of pulling off an upset. Uh... Ultimately, I do still think there's a chance that they'll cover, but before I go into that, Rotom, how do you think Stefanski's absence is going to impact this game? It's going to be gigantic, I think, and we talk about coaches advantage, coach, coaching advantages a lot, uh, but with first-year coaches on such young teams, I think having that guy on the sideline is going to be so important. And despite the work of Mike Pryfer, I, I just don't know how you know you can replicate that mentality. Even over Zoom, there's not really enough time to install an offensive game plan when you don't have the hand-to-hand contact that a physical sport like football calls for. And on top of all that, I think Baker Mayfield's going to need someone there to consistently be there for him. And the fact that it wasn't the OC, Alex Van Pelt, that was picked to be the head coach. I'm kind of surprised by that, that they gave the special teams guy the head. So I I do think that that creates quite a large advantage for the Steelers there. But I will tell you, Frank, uh, the Premier League, I do love talking to me some soccer. One head coach uh, was not present for four of his team's games. Aston Villa head coach Dean Smith uh, was on Zoom for four of the matches, and they managed to win all of them. Uh, So if soccer gives us any predilation of what could potentially happen, Stefanski is Zoom coaching might be the right way to go. Uh, but until we see that truly happen in the States, uh, that might just be a trend that sticks across the pond. Uh, but I will have to agree with you, absolutely. The Stefanski situation is absolutely the worst-timed situation. And, you know, I wish the Browns luck, but I think that might be the nail in the coffin for their first-ever playoff win since back in since they have been back in Cleveland. Yeah, it's a tough scene. And it speaks to the larger problem at hand, or the situation at hand, which is, of course trying to churn out playoff football during a pandemic. It's unpredictable. It's risky. Somehow they've managed to get through a full season without missing a beat for the most part. Uh, but it's an imper- it's imperfect in nature, and the Browns just happen to get the short end of the stick at this moment in time, and I think it's going to be their undoing. However, I've pretty much laid out an entire case for why the picking the Browns in this game is not a good decision, and we're in agreement on that. I do think, though, at plus six, there is an outside shot that the Browns could find themselves in a competitive matchup here. And I don't know if it's going to be a backdoor cover or if it's going to be competitive from start to finish, but I'm going to take the Browns plus six. And not having Stefanski there is obviously not going to work in their favor. But I'm still not sold on the Steelers team entirely, and specifically offensively. I think the Browns' defense, while not great, is going to be able to limit the Steelers to a certain extent uh, to give themselves a fighting chance to cover that plus six points spread. And we just don't know what Steelers' team is going to show up. We haven't seen them at full strength in two weeks, and against the Colts, they finally got their act together and played one good quarter of offensive football, scoring 21 unanswered points in that fourth quarter to give themselves a four-point victory. But prior to that, 
the Steelers had been laboring offensively. They could not get anything going for pretty much for for a five to six week stretch there. So I don't know which version of the Steelers we're going to get. Either way, they still can't run the ball effectively. They were the last ranked rushing offense in the NFL this year. They were only 25th in total yards per game. And because of their offensive woes, I think the Browns have a shot to make this somewhat competitive, even in Stefanski's absence. I'm going to take the Steelers to win by a score of 21-16 to 16 with the Browns narrowly, just narrowly covering that plus six and losing by five points in another low-scoring affair. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, surprise, surprise indeed. Who could expect another under? Uh, and it does pay me to disagree with you here. The Browns served me quite well throughout the season, as did the Steelers. Betting on them was was uh, was pretty successful for me. But uh, I think I'm going to have to go for the Steelers on this one, both on the spread and the money line. Um, I think I'm going to go Steelers 27 to 17. Uh, obviously, I'm a big, bigger believer in the Steelers' offense than you. I don't know why continually has to be sold to you. Well, Frank, since you like to bring up this, uh, let me read you off the reason why you have to believe in the Steelers' defense, the number three defense in points per game, the number three in yards per game, number three in passing yards per game. And while they allowed a little bit more rushing, which could be their downfall against one of the most talented rushing teams in the league, the Browns' defense does not stack up in any way, shape, or form. Pittsburgh Steelers come in with four of the best wide receiver, with the deepest wide receiver core in the league, pretty much the only one that is able to go four deep, uh, where many of them, uh, could potentially have 1,000-yard seasons on other teams, talking about Chase Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, and James Washington, uh, and versus a passing defense that is 19th in the league, allowing 247.6 passing yards to Big Ben, who, yeah, you're right, he had a five-game stretch there that was not very like Big Ben. This guy's been to the playoffs for the past 16 years. This guy has two Super Bowl appearances in his life. He's got a ring on his finger. Two, he's got two rings on his finger for a reason. I, I just think that, yeah, head coaching is going to be big. But don't forget, the guy at the quarterback position, we have been talking circles around how bad Baker Mayfield has been for the past two years, and suddenly he has had one good season. This is a model of consistency in Big Ben. The difference between them the last year and the difference between them this, the difference between them last year and this team right here, it's Big Ben, Big Ben, Big Ben. He's going to win them this game. He's going to look good doing it. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, Big Ben gives the Steelers a, a decisive experience advantage at the quarterback position, and that speaks to the larger discrepancy uh, with these two rosters and coaching staffs overall. I mean, even if you add Stefanski on the sidelines, he pales in comparison to what Mike Tomlin has established over his 10-plus year, years of being the Steelers' head coach. And the same can be said for other position groups on various sides of the ball, not just quarterback and not just head coach. So picking the Steelers here, I think is a safe bet. I would have picked the Steelers even if Stefanski was on, even if the Browns did not have their little COVID outbreak this, this past week. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, we have this game and then we have Rams Seahawks. I don't know how often statistically that we have playoff matchups on wild card weekend, but the fact that we have not one, but two, both on Saturday and Sunday, that only adds to the ever-developing storylines of the NFL playoffs this year. Yeah, Frank, as we take this by a game-of-game basis, you know, let's take a little bit of a zoom out. And some uh, one potential thing you might like, uh, we know we disagreed on two of these games based on the results and on the spread. But here's something we've all agreed on. Uh, if you were to potentially take a teaser based on our picks, our most recommended one, we're probably taking the Bills, the Bucks, the Bears, and the Steelers all in their spreads, putting you at a Bucks minus one half, Buccaneers minus two, Bears plus 16, and the Steelers on PK. We agreed on all four of those picks, and that would give you a $100 returning 235. A pretty good odds for four of the most likely results in this week's round. What do you think about that one, Frank, and which of these four games uh, do you think are the most likely to break the back of our teaser? I think that's definitely a strong teaser. Uh, I mean, every teaser is a strong teaser until the games actually kick off. And as we know, Rotom, we've been on the wrong end of some bad breaks with teasers and parlays throughout the year. That one that you just wrote off with the value of plus 235 is an enticing option. And this is kind of unprecedented, ter- unprecedented territory because we're not used to having six games on wildcard weekend. So that obviously increases the opportunities for various teasers 
in parlays and from the ones that from that list that you just read I think the one that would have the best the one that would have the greatest chance of ruining everything would have to be the Brown Steelers and maybe it's just because it's a PK but I think the Steelers are a more beatable team at this juncture than say the Bills or the Buccaneers especially based on their respective matchups I was tempted to say maybe Bears plus 16 if the Saints really show up, maybe we could be looking at a potential blowout there. Uh, but between those two, I think the Steelers losing is more likely than the Bears getting blown out by more than 16 points. And I don't see the Bills or the Buccaneers losing. But correct me if I'm wrong, please. No, Frank, I actually absolutely agree with you. And now that we're looking at it, do you think that it'd be more value to take that Pittsburgh Steelers PK? Or would you rather actually take the Cleveland Browns side of it at Browns plus 12? Should have thought about that one because actually I'm looking. I think I would take Browns, honestly. Well, from my side of the perspective, I think that Browns plus twelve is a pretty safe bet. Obviously, I have Browns covering plus six, so I'm all in on this being a somewhat competitive game. But for you, somebody who picked the Steelers to win by ten, I would imagine that the Browns plus twelve is a little bit risky from your perspective because if the Steelers are winning by ten, you know if another player or two goes their way and they score a field goal or maybe another touchdown then you're looking at a lopsided victory. So I would say Browns plus 12 is a safer bet, but I'm assuming, based on your prediction, that you think Steelers PK is probably the way to go. Yeah, I would take Steelers PK. I think I'm more comfortable with knowing that the Steelers will move on um, rather than saying that they'll contain themselves between a certain amount of points. But hey, you know, it might be a little bit differential. But again, at plus 235, however you may sway with the AFC North, I think that is your best value. But Frank, as we talk about values, Let's talk about the grandest, most futuristic values of them all. Who is going to keep advancing? And obviously, we've talked about who's going to win, and that's going to lay some implications on next round. But we'll keep next week for next week's episode. Uh, and let's talk about who may potentially meet in two weeks from now's episode. Let's talk about who might win the AFC and the NFC. Obviously, the Chiefs and the Packers were the two teams we didn't get to talk about this week. That'll save again for next week. But Frank, uh, our values are pretty invested here. Of the three teams you have winning the NFC, and the Saints plus 275, the Buccaneers at plus 400, and the Seahawks at plus 450. Uh, I also had the Rams winning at plus 1,200 if I want to throw that in there. Uh, which of those the four values do you think are the best bet to upset the Packers at plus 160? Well, I think there's different ways uh, you could approach this question. If you're going based on momentum entering the playoffs, then you would say Buccaneers plus 400 because the Buccaneers have won uh, four games in a row, and they've looked fantastic doing it, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. Additionally, the Buccaneers also have experience going for them in the at the quarterback position because Tom Brady is, in fact, more experienced and more accomplished than any other quarterback playing in these playoffs, and any quarterback in the NFL, for that matter. But for me, and I know it's the lowest value at plus 275, but I think the Saints have the best shot out of all these teams to win the NFC and upset the Packers as the number one seed. And I know we talked about the Saints, how they've had some playoff struggles in the past. But top to bottom, offensively and defensively, and across various position groups, I think you can make an argument that they have the most complete roster out of any team in this conference, uh, especially more complete than the Buccaneers, Seahawks, or Rams. And the Rams plus 1,200, that's a big number, but I think they have too, far too many question marks at quarterback and far too many question marks on offense. And you can say, say the same about the Seahawks. I mean, Russell Wilson is a great quarterback, but like we brought up, there's a lot of concerns about the Seahawks' ability to put a complete game together and for their offense and defense to click at the same time. So I would say Saints plus 275 is my favorite number out of that group with Buccaneers plus 400. Uh, not too far behind, but I'm curious if you agree or disagree with that sentiment could actually flip that sentiment and actually flip pretty much the entirety of your sentiment i actually think that the buccaneers are probably the most well-built team in this conference and with a offense that is run by tom brady who i have endless faith in um i i don't i don't know about anything else obviously mike evans presence is going to be a little bit concerning for that but i think if he's back uh and they have the incredibly talented defense of william goulston jason pierre paul nadamakan sue levanta david shaquille barrett Antoine Winfield Jr. for whoever enjoys his taste, uh, Sean Murphy bunting. I just think it's it's a talented defense that is well-built. 
uh, and has been well-built for the entirety of the season, unlike the Saints defense, who, while has been good for spurts, and especially at the end of the season, they haven't always been good. And I think, you know, despite the fact that this would ultimately be between are the Bucks or the Saints better, two Saints wins over the Bucks would imply that they are. I do think that if a third matchup were to come between the two, not only would it be probably the most entertaining playoff game of that year, uh, I think that the Bucks would come out on top. And so I'm going to go for the value of uh, the Buccaneers here, plus 400. Yeah, and I think pound for pound, uh, plus 400 compared to plus 275, maybe that does give the Buccaneers the edge. And the other thing that you have to look at is each team's respective path in the postseason. Because, of course, to win the NFC, you have to go through the team. To win the NFC, you have to beat the teams that are in front of you. And if the Buccaneers do win this matchup against Washington, they're looking at a likely matchup with the Packers in round number two. And we saw earlier in the season the Buccaneers destroyed Green Bay 38-10, to which was the probably the lone blemish on Green Bay's otherwise successful season. And in a potential rematch there between Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, I would reckon that Aaron Rodgers would be out to get revenge. And I don't see... Uh, that playing out in the Buccaneers' favor, at least not to the extent of a 28-point victory that we saw uh, back in Week 4. Yeah, that's a very good point, and that's a point that is all too important for our next for our next topic, which is, of course, the AFC, uh, where the Chiefs uh, loom just ahead of both the Ravens and the Titans, two of the top four odds behind the Chiefs to win the, the conference, uh, with the Bills sitting at plus 350, the Ravens at plus 650, the Steelers at plus 1,000, the Titans at plus 1,300. And if you were so bold to take the Colts or the Browns, both are sitting at plus 1,800. Frank, outside of the Chiefs, the reigning Super Bowl champions, who do you have as the best odds and the best value to win the AFC? Well, again, it's a great question. And I think you might be able to make an argument that the AFC is a little bit more interesting than the NFC uh, because all of these teams are, in fact, like you mentioned, looking to upend the reigning Super Bowl champs. And there's been a lot of conversation about how good this Chiefs team is compared to last year and whether or not they're a little bit overrated at this point as the number one seed. But of course, because they're on a bye week, we're not talking about them this week. And out of the list that you mentioned, I would go ahead and cross off the Browns and Colts. And I would also cross off the Titans and Steelers. And maybe that's a little bit controversial, but I just think that the Steelers' struggles on the offensive side of the ball and the Titans' woes on the defensive side of the ball are difficult to overcome when looking to make a deep postseason run. And I think the Bills and Ravens have far more complete teams at this juncture than both Tennessee and Pittsburgh. And Baltimore plus 650, not to sound biased here, does seem like the best value. I mean, they're entering the postseason hotter than just about any other team, with the exception probably being Buffalo. And I think it's going to come down to either Buffalo or the Ravens. I think they both have the best shot to defeat Kansas City. And I think Buffalo ultimately... A plus 350, while the value is not quite as fruitful as the plus 650 that the Ravens present, you just can't overlook what the Bills have done this season and how good they've been. And based on everything that we've seen, they seem like they have maybe the only offense in the NFL, other than Green Bay, who can go pound for pound with Kansas City, even though Kansas City beat them earlier in the regular season. So I like Buffalo plus 350 as the most opportune, as the most advantageous number with Baltimore plus 650 not far behind yeah they did beat them early on in that week six battle 17 to 26 and and that uh, you know it, it's exemplary of how good I think the Bills season has been regarding every I think it's actually a good example of how good this Bills season has been uh, without us you know talking about it enough they were the second team in the AFC and we're only one game behind KFC because of this game but look at their all their two losses they played Tennessee in week five right after the big Tennessee stunt about them losing a game. Uh, and it's probably must have just a difficult schedule. And honestly, you can't really blame the guys on the field for that because they weren't the guys that got COVID. Uh, and then in week 10, Hale Murray, probably one of the single biggest play that cost any team a game. And they was still only 30 to 32. And that's not a play that happens nine out of 10 times. Those are the only three blemishes in this team season. And they've beaten some incredibly talented teams, beating the Seahawks 44 to 34, beating the Steelers 26 to 15. They beat Miami last week 56 to 26, and they were resting some of their starters. This is a team that I genuinely think could beat anyone on any given day, uh, be it a Super Bowl, be it an AFC conference. 
be it the Colts this weekend. I think they can beat anyone, and I think they would be my best bet to beat the Chiefs whenever it happens. Yeah, and even though the value at plus 350 isn't as as attractive as some of the other options in the AFC, you have to be realistic, and you have to go with the team that does have the best chance, and that's got to be Buffalo based on everything that we've seen. And teams have tried to beat the Chiefs in many different ways over the past two seasons, uh, whether it's running the ball, controlling the clock, or selling out to force turnovers on defense, and they haven't been successful. I mean, the Chiefs did win. 14 games this year and it basically would have been 15 had they not rested their starters against the Chargers in the final week of the season so maybe what it boils down to is you just have to be able to match the offensive firepower that Kansas City brings to the table and I think the team that's best equipped to do that is the team that's number two in scoring this year which is the Buffalo Bills absolutely and uh, I'm glad we can agree on that final one uh, we'll talk more about these teams next week as we start to slim down on those scenarios but as you want to hear more about updates on odds uh, the situations of the Stefanskis and potentially more injury updates we will be at play at pod both on Twitter and on Instagram you can find me at Rodham Kaufman and Frank where can listeners find you you can find me on Twitter at Frank JP zero a great place when you're alone and just want to think about Frank. Absolutely. It always is. And to all of our listeners out there, hope you enjoy this wild card weekend as much as we will. And I look forward to talking about the divisional round next week. As do I. Can't wait to see someone get slimed. Yeah.